be like, bro, there's gonna be like lots of people listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so funny. Oh, like, I sound like a kook, you know? <laughs> Aloha, foilers. I'm Brian Finch, and welcome to another episode of the Foil the World podcast. This episode is brought to you by Real Water Sports at Real Water Sports on Instagram, realwatersports.com. Uh, for all your foiling needs and more, affiliate code FOILTHEWORLD at checkout will get you an upgraded shipping for free and help support the show. Also brought to you by Deep Relief CBD at Deep Relief CBD. Amazing products. I use them on the daily, the drops, the gummies for sleep, the CBD balm for sore muscles after foil sessions. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Today's special guest is J.D. Irons. J.D. was born and raised on the island of Kauai and lived on the north shore of Oahu for many years as a professional Volcom surfer. He was a pipe and barrel specialist, all-around charger, and now an avid and ripping foiler. You can follow J.D. at flying underscore irons on Instagram. This is a really fun conversation. Please take a moment to five-star this bitch and throw on a couple comments let me know how it's going what i can do better who you would like to have on the show it would be greatly helpful and appreciated now let's get into the show JD Irons, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. Stoked to be here. So JD is uh, born and raised on the island of Kauai. He was a pro surfer for many years. Um, we became friends, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when I was on my second run of living on Kauai. And JD, I have a couple quick stories I want to tell you about uh, about you before we like really get into the podcast. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so the first time I I ever caught your name, caught notice of you, I was flipping through. I think it was surfing Surfer Magazine uh, many years ago, and I I seen the uh, I think it was a backside backside barrel pulling into. I could be wrong, but I, I noticed the caption. It said JD Irons. I was like. Who the hell is JD Irons? Is this like because you know I was the biggest Andy Iron fan out there? Um, I uh, surfed a couple contests with Andy, got completely smoked every time, as long along with everyone else. But uh, that was that was my very first uh, impression. I was like, who is this guy? Um, and then I, you know I never met you. I, I I heard that you were Andy and Bruce's cousin, and that's kind of where it left off. Um, I know I'm about 10, 11 years older than you, so we didn't probably cross paths at the time for that okay so the second anecdote is uh when i moved back to Kauai from costa rica i was in costa rica for about 10 years and i moved back and around like second year i was back on Kauai. i had my um my best friend from costa rica come visit his name is marcelo Arredo, a super good guy really ripping surfer and marcelo came to hang out on Kauai with me and uh one day we went to the north shore and um and we went to go surf rock quarry and the right on the kind of east side of the bay was working um kind of funky day a lot of windswell mixed in uh but a fun little punchy right and there was just one guy out and he's a goofy foot and he was freaking knifing it in the pit and that was you and we're like 
Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and we're like, oh, one guy out. There's plenty of waves coming through, and we get ready. And my buddy is kind of flashy, right? He had like painted board, the loads of stickers. His his top was like neon. <laughs> you know, was not my <laughs> style, right? Yeah, could testify that doesn't that at least in the day it still didn't totally fly in Kauai like being full flash guy. Um, yeah, you want to blend in for sure, especially if you're not from there. So uh, we paddled out, and by the time we like paddle out, you had a buddy that joined you on that peak, and um, we sat there for like an hour trying to get scraps, and you and your buddy were taking every wave ruthlessly not letting us catch shit bro and you guys were ripping and we were so desperate like well, we could rip too bro we, we're good surfers like trying to show respect and I, was, I gave you know my buddy marcelo the full the full kawaii like speech like right you know one to two guys you show up at a spot you show respect you wait your turn you sit inside you don't know everyone you just cruise get the show respect you know say hi and just take yep. the scraps and that's how it is yep and so and so he came in pretty dejected. And I remember feeling, fuck, but I grew up here. Like, I can't even catch waves. Like, what's up? <laughs> I am from the South Side and I've been gone for yeah. gone forever. Right? Just lose your spot, right? Yeah. You got to hold that spot in that totem pole. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember just uh, pretty bummed. I was like, who is this freaking guy? Especially you. You're, you were ripping. Uh, and so my third encounter, and at the time, I didn't know that was, I didn't know it was you. I didn't know your name. I didn't know who that guy was, like just some, you know, North Shore Ripper. And the third time I encountered you was probably a year later, uh, super early in the morning before the sun came up um, at Targets. We're checking it, and you were already on the beach, pulled up. We thought we are going to be the first there. And you're standing there on the beach in your boardies, and it was like 15 mile an hour freezing north wind and you're just standing there like who is this guy what is he doing and we kind of drive by and i look and wave and you kind of nod you're like who's these guys and uh we parked and we were watching the surf it was like it was probably like three four feet like it looked like it was building there's some solid four foot like just as wide as tall like grinders and uh and you're waiting for a ski to come grab you and i seen you just not even time the sets just freaking launch into the water when the ski got close and duck dive through some pounding sets and then climb on the ski and you guys are gone i think you went up to check around the point and i remember thinking yeah. oh that's the guy from rock quarry bro who is this nut <laughs> i was <laughs> i got out of my truck and i was watching the surf and i was cold in my like pants and sweatshirt and hat and you're just chilling there no top just freezing cold ready to rock uh and then so fast forward a few years later when started foiling and then I put two and two together I recognized you like oh fuck that was JD Irons <laughs> so those are my experiences with you before we even really knew each other oh that's cool I think <laughs> I remember that rock quarry day do you now that I think about it yeah unreal what yeah do you anything where you we, going through your head i just rem i just remember that that right was really good for like a couple weeks it got really good and um we were going down there a bunch and um yeah there's a lot of days where you, you end up surfing by yourself or with just you and your buddy and uh yeah when people show up on the beach you definitely notice because the beach is empty you know and, hey, who are these guys you know checking them out you know 
but you know we got our spots so we like to you know take you know protect and then there's you know the other spots where everybody can just you know it's free game um but yeah that 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 was a that was probably back in my more uh rambunctious days uh (laughs) when i was trying a little more punky and a little you know but uh, the older you get, the more you, you know, have respect for everybody and you realize that, hey, we're all just here to have a good time. And that's what's really cool about it. In the foiling community, everybody's just so, it's so cool to see people from teenagers all the way up to guys in their 60s. And we're all like hanging out with each other and stuff, which is like the coolest thing ever. So just the community is so great. That's uh, kind of why I kind of, went more towards foiling and i've been foiling like probably the last like three or four years now and that's kind of i surf here and there every now and then um but it's just it's such a different vibe i love it so can you explain to our listeners kind of like kind of why on Kauai we're protective of our spots and and uh and having people need to you know show respect and earn their earn their spots in the lineup yeah, Kauai is like, you know, we're a small island here. We're a small community. Everybody kind of knows each other, knows somebody that knows you kind of a thing. And, um, you know, like growing up here, we had, you know, the, the elders, the uncles, the guys that really paved the way for us and showed us that, you know, hey, Oahu's a 20-minute flight, you know, the world stage, all the cameras, all that kind of stuff. It's right there. You know, don't bring it here. We have our spots that we like to enjoy and want to be able to enjoy it for uh, our kids so we don't want to expose these places and you know bring uh start you know bringing people here and that you know gonna crowd our lineups yeah i don't think people understand how lineups can get so overrun um on a seasonal basis especially and and having to just deal with that like such a giant influx of people and many many of which are very clueless and not respectful for the local culture and and thinking they can show up and they're entitled to to do what they want you know the ocean's for everyone but there's a balance to that system right and like you're saying um, that's how i was raised in the water um those are the lessons i was taught and there has to be some sort of governance right yeah, it can't just be a free-for-all. You know, growing up here, we had, you know, the uncles teach us that, hey, you got to have respect and not just respect for your peers, but for the environment, right? The ocean, the animals, the plants. We're all we're all a part of it. We're all connected. And that is probably the, the biggest thing you learn here growing up in, in Hawaii um, is about having respect. And that will take you far here, honestly. Um because it's it's earned, it's not given, you know. So you, it's one of those things you got to show people that you know, like you're saying, entitlement. Yeah. So nobody's entitled to respect. You got to come here and earn it. And you know, the people that do want to put in the time and and earn the respect and and do all that, they'll do good. You know, they'll be able to sort of stay here and and enjoy their time here. And you know, everybody's got to just understand the the respect for the culture here. You know, there's um it's just like i wouldn't i wouldn't go to some other country in the world and you know do disrespectful things it's important to learn the culture you know when you show when you go to places and kind of know the customs and things like that so that way you're not disrespectful while you're there it's a two-way street Um, and i work in the 
Yeah, it's a two-way street, and you know, I work in the tourism industry. I'm a, a boat captain. I'm a tour guide, and I meet, you know, I meet tourists every day, and you see all different types of people, and and um, it's really cool when you do meet people that are are really interested in the culture and they want to know, um, you know, how to be good uh, visitors while they're here and not be disrespectful, uh, which is pretty important, I think, you know, um, because you know, growing up here, you know, like. Yeah, you know, the, the environment it's like uh it's it's part of the whole the whole system here you know so we're in tune we're we're lucky we we spend so much time outside and we're so in tune with the ocean and the, the weather and all that kind of stuff and growing up being surfers you know we we study the weather we get good at reading the weather charts and all that stuff so that way we know where the waves are so we know where to go so it's important to yeah know your environment know where you're going to visit um and be respectful while you're there so you um you're you're in the family in the in the irons family uh you're bruce and and andy's cousin uh what was it like growing up with uh with so much a a, a name attached or so much attention attached to the last name and just growing up um around bruce and andy and you're 10 years 10, 11 years uh, younger than Andy was, correct? Right. And then Bruce yeah. is just a couple more, a couple years younger, if I remember. Yeah, he's like two years younger. Two years younger. So, yeah. Th- w- w- I think, yeah. About a year, yeah, a year and a half or so. So, walk me through that. So, yeah, just uh, growing up in Honolulu, um, you know, my dad, uh, his brother, and I had a lot of uh, family that kind of all, uh, we all lived in Hanalei on the north side there. Uh, so I live fairly close to the beach. I live by pine trees down in Hanalei Bay there. So that was, uh, that was the playground. That was the backyard. We'd go walk across the street and go to pine trees and surf every day after, you know, every day after school until it was dark out. And yeah, growing up in Hanalei, man, there couldn't have been a better place. I mean, um you know perfect little sandbar waves little reforms and we had such a talented um crew of older guys um to grow up and you know idolize you know bruce andy you know roy powers um you know the list goes on there's a bunch of guys that you know came from Kauai. uh sebastian zeets gavin joette Jesse you know, Merle there, Jones. The list goes on. Jesse Omai Merle Jones. Goodwin. I mean, like it's Omai and Goodwin. You name it, man. There's this all Reef Macintosh. I mean, there's Cody the Graham. List goes on. So Cody Graham. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you guys are all legends. <laughs> could be going, you know, forever. Yeah, absolutely. Titus, you know, Uncle Titus, Uncle Terry, you know, legends. These absolutely. are all the guys, you know, Kaipo Hakias. You know, Uncle Max Medeiros, you know, these are the guys that really paved the way for, for our, our younger generation. Um, they were the guys that went over to Oahu and made their name, made their stake in there and let everybody know, hey, you know, Kauai, we got some good surfers too over here. And, you know, naturally, Bruce and Andy guys kind of followed uh, those guys' footsteps and, you know, started going to North Shore Oahu and all that. And yeah, growing up around those guys was 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 pretty cool. It was pretty intense too. I would say, um, the kids nowadays they got it pretty easy, man. Uh, it was 
it was tough being a grom back in those days you know what i mean right. uh, there was some hate there was some hazing going on back in those days hazing was hanging out at <laughs> it was hectic bro when i was in high school hazing was <laughs> they call that bullying now <laughs> yeah was, yeah it was brutal bro. we we were tied to coconut trees we we're uh yeah horrible shit <laughs> but hey that's that's this that's the stuff though that really made us who we are though that's really what gave us you know strength and character and, and really shaped us you know I, I don't regret any of that stuff those guys did to me that really was what made me stronger you know honestly uh just trying to keep up with those guys um but i you know i had my group of friends and then you know we always were trying to you know, latch on to the, the older guys and try to hang out with them too. And, you know, be cool and hang out with those guys. And, and, but yeah, it was really awesome growing up around that, um, surfing community it was, it was pretty competitive and pretty hardcore. Everybody was, you know, the level, um, of everybody surfing on a daily basis, just, it just kept going up, you know, everybody's getting better and better. And, yeah, I, I I kind of followed in their steps in a sense that, you know, after high school, I moved to Oahu and I was fortunate to uh, have a connection with Volcom at the time. And they were throwing me some bones, keeping me afloat, giving me some clothes and a, a place to stay. And yeah, I was working construction with my dad right out of high school, town and nails, carpentry. And I didn't want to you know, I wanted to kind of choose a different career path. So I really put my head down and, and kind of went after my surfing career and made my way up the pecking order there and at pipe and, you know, earned my spot up there and got really close one year to having like the wave of the winter. Probably had like this, you know, the biggest best barrel I've ever had out there. It was like a 12 foot first reef wave and just blown out and sunset and all the, all the, you know, everything came together and yeah i learned a lot living over there and and you know growing up in Honolulu was really cool and the level is really high that you know everybody's surfing but then you go to oahu and it's like the north shore of oahu is you know the mecca of the surfing world especially during the winter time and people come from all over the world to come and surf there um you know they call it the proving grounds it's where you go to prove yourself it's the stage the world stage and so yeah it was really great meeting people from all around the world i made some really cool connections um i got to meet some of my heroes people i idolized i grew up um got to become good friends with them know them on a first name basis which is incredible and yeah it was a really awesome experience and um now i've come back to Kauai and uh, took on a little different career path here and started driving boats down the Nepali coast on Kauai here on the northwest side of the island. You have beautiful coastline. One of the most ridiculous, if not the best, um, office view in the world. Yeah, it's pretty good. Nine times out of ten, we got some some beautiful views. It definitely gets a little challenging out there. We are in the middle of the Pacific, the biggest ocean on the planet here, so conditions do get a little challenging sometimes right and that that but yeah that stretch is no joke too you have to, i mean you can't just be a captain you have to be a good captain out there you have to really know your shit yeah you, you gotta know the water and you know lucky for me i grew up here and i you know grew up in the water here and so i know the i know the conditions uh pretty good so so yeah and then you know i started foiling oh man my first taste of foiling 
Oh, well, I mean, we all saw, you know, Kailani and actually my first um, ex- exposure to foiling was actually Laird and Terry guys um, back when they had the boots and the straps and all that stuff. Right. Um, you know, step into liquid that old, that old movie was that 2003 or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew about foiling, but it just looks so um, hard. Uh, just the really the equipment that they had, it, it looked really challenging. And, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, five, six years later, um, my cousin uh, happened to get one of those boards, those, those, uh, those old boards um, with the boots, the snowboard boots and the, the big giant aluminum foil on it. And we went out one day on the ski and we're just in the flat water in the bay. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even ride for more than two seconds, uh, without breaching or falling off or almost feeling like I was going to drown, uh, cause I'm wearing these big snowboard boots and I'm trying to stay upright and wearing a life jacket. And 30, it was so hard. 30 I just, pounds attached to your feet, right? Yeah. 30 pounds attached to your feet. And I, you know, we, I got up, went down, got up, went down, probably did that like 30 times and i was like all right i'm done this is this is, this is lame i can't do this it's this too hard <laughs> and i just kind of put it on the back burner and my cousin he you know got into it a little bit he was kind of figuring it out and you'd always hit me up oh you want to go i'm like nah i'm okay so yeah uh, i remember yeah this is back in like 2018 or 2017 when the first uh go foils came out the kai wing and stuff like that and i remember sebastian zietz uh, got one and him and Gavin Gillette and they would go down to uh, pine trees and they would go foil when it was really really small and you know everybody wanted to try um, but nobody could really do it because it was so hard right and uh, that was my first time that he let me try it I paddled out of my shortboard and he, he let me you know try to catch a couple waves on it and I definitely got you know got up breach it was way easier than the you know the old foils the aluminum ones the snowboard boots right and i was like wow this is you didn't have to be going you'd have to be going 100 miles an hour (laughs) yeah and we i paddled into this little one foot tiny little white water and i stood up and i i got that glide you know and i was like whoa this is this is it took a little while to get used to that feeling of uh you know being above the water i think everybody kind of goes through that shell shock moment when you're, you know, cause we spent our whole lives, you know, surfing, being attached to the water for the most part, you know, and then all of a sudden you're two feet above it. it takes a little bit getting used to. For me. And I, I think and for then, uh, it's that, that moment where like the sound just like disappears. Yeah. Like, you're you know, so used to hearing the water and then it just goes quiet. Yeah. That was like yeah. the biggest shock for me. I was like, whoa, or the most noticeable thing, like first flight. Yeah. Yeah, and then after that, I, I was, you know, at the time, kind of expensive to drop, you know, like 1500 bucks on a foil, you know. So, and I couldn't justify doing it. So, I waited, and um, luckily, my mom's friend who came and visited, they were foiling uh, in the lake uh, in the mainland, and he brought his foil with him, and uh, he he saw that I had some interest and he was kind enough to uh, give it to me and leave it with me when he went back. And uh, I managed to find a board on Craigslist, a little 310 
at somebody at a, it was a Chrome Magnum, actually that little 310 Chrome Magnum. And, uh, yeah, that was my first official setup. That was, I could call my own. This kind and... of reminds me, um, of, I, I looked up some of your older videos, your surfing videos for, in prep for this. Yeah. And the first one I came across was, um, you at second reef pipe with with some pretty strong offshores it was a it was a volcom edit and it just uh-huh. i just started cracking up because that was the, the the intro scene you were like second reef pipe and you're you're hopping like you're on a foil and you're doing like six seven hops like trying to get in this thing the wind's almost blowing you back blowing you back and then you get all the way in and you just pack this like fucking eight to ten foot pipe bomb and then and then the video goes off and just over and over all these gnarly left pipe bombs and big old backdoor barrels but i just thought it was was pretty hilarious for uh for researching you for the for the podcast here and the very first shot is you looking like you're foiling (laughs) yeah i I wish foiling was around when i was a kid i mean if if it was i i might have not gone as far in my surfing but i think you know um coming from a surfing background i think there's uh a lot that can transfer over into foiling uh a lot of just like kind of general knowledge about the ocean and waves and the way they work and and whatnot um but yeah it is is so different from surfing and you know and it really opens up your mind and um you know, I look at the ocean way different now. It's it's kind of crazy. You know, you're, you're not just looking for the waves, where the waves are breaking. You're all of a sudden, you know, the whole ocean's the, the playground, uh, the canvas, especially with downwinding. Now, you know, you can ride, literally ride bumps out in the middle of the open ocean. I never thought that would be something that we could do. So it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's hard to even, like, comprehend what what what's going on you know yeah Being miles offshore and just riding way energy basically crossing islands and channels and and yeah for as long and, as your yeah. conditions hold up and your legs hold out right yeah and it's crazy too because you know we go out in the boat and it gets windy out there and you know sometimes we you know we're riding down swell and it feels like you're downwind because you're you're you know you're tucking in behind bumps you're riding them for a little bit and then you're peeling out and getting into the next one. So yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, I feel like I'm downwinding with the boat sometimes when we're out there and coming down swell. Still sneaking in your, your session, even if you're working, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> getting those glides in. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your, uh, your journey in, in downwinding, learning that, learning that, um, have you been doing any sup or is it, all the, all just the prone sends so far. So living on Kauai, our island uh, is fairly round. So we don't have a lot of straight, long coastlines here. Um, and kind of where we are geographically, we don't get the best wind here. Uh, so downwinding is pretty difficult on Kauai. There are some runs um, that you can do, uh, but logistics wise, it's kind of a nightmare. A lot of these places, these runs are, are uh, the best runs that we have are inaccessible coastline. Um, so you need a boat or a ski to help you if you get stuck. You know, there's nowhere to go in. There's just cliffs. Um, but I have been slowly figuring out 
uh, when we get opposite wind directions from the north uh, or the south. Um, the east side of the island uh, has some potential for some runs. And um, even the North Shore uh, in the summertime when we get really strong easterly trade winds, uh, there's a couple of runs up on the North Shore there. But slowly figuring out a couple uh, little prone sends that we have around here. They're short, only a, you know, a mile or two. Um, but it's good enough. And then uh, the SUP, I've, I've just been diving into the SUP. Uh, I had a Kalama E3, a 6123 um, for a while now. And I have a lift set up. I read lifts. And the lift and the Kalama, they weren't really working that well together. And a lot of the guys that have those boards around here that ride lifts, they've been drilling holes uh, in their mask plate to scoot their mask more forward in the tracks. Right. And I was pretty reluctant to do it. And um, I just did it the other day. And I honestly, I wish I would have done it months ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was night and day. Uh, before, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get up on foil. And now I'm doing four-for-ones with the SUP. So uh, I'm really excited now hoping we get some maybe tomorrow we might get some strong uh northerly winds uh, i'm gonna try send a proper sup run because uh, the last few times i've gone that we've actually had winds um i probably spent about an hour paddling on my belly <laughs> just trying to trying to get in um from where we went out from you know you know i, I try to pop up and you know, get halfway up and fall down and throw the paddle a couple times, a couple F-bombs, and, and you know, <laughs> you only got so much, you know, juice in the tank before you, <laughs> you got to go in, right? It sounds like you're right so, on track. Yeah, <laughs> you're right on track. Yeah, <laughs> it's my the exact struggle is real. If, if anybody is learning how to self-foil, just trust me, it, it's going to take a while. It's nothing easy. Um, but it is really gratifying and i think it's kind of important too to be kind of well i always tried to be a, a well a rounded waterman uh try to have you know not just be good at one thing but be good at lots of things be versed and able to do different disciplines and that's what's cool about foiling is there's so many different disciplines that we're you know seeing here you know especially with the winging i haven't i haven't dove into the wing yet um, too deep but uh, I know from what I hear everybody says that hey if you want to learn how to downwind um, then you just got to dive in you know put the put the prone board away uh, when you go out take the sup out you know get used to that board to that swing weight and if in you, surf, if you right? get you're in the winging to, you're afraid yeah to yeah get in the surf start learning how to catch just catching waves yeah That's yeah just right learn now, how to know. paddle the board you know, learning paddling technique, how to hold the paddle, how to balance. And, you know, because if you start winging, every time it's, you know, it gets windy, you're going to want to go wing. You know, and usually that's when downwinding is good too, right? When it gets real windy. So it's like you got to pick one or the other. And unless you're like Kyle Malegro and you can downwind all morning and then wing all afternoon, <laughs> and how the guy does it little energizer bunny here in florida if it's onshore or offshore that's a wing day if it's north or south winds those are uh, downwind days see that that's nice 
quiet, pretty clear cut. a little different, man. I was, my downwind journey on quiet was so frustrating because watching videos of guys on Maui and not understanding the, uh, the, the true difference in conditions. Um, and then, uh, I was on big, big, slow wings, like Armstrong 1200, like the CF 1200 and those type of wings. Yeah. And on the South side, like you're saying, it's usually when you have those trades, you also have a lot of ground swell mixed in and, and right. you have to have a fast foil for the gr ground swells, you know? Um, and yeah. my first breakthrough when I was like, I don't think I can do this. This is not working. You know, I had some runs, maybe quarter mile, but like legs falling off, <laughs> pumping super hard, you know, getting glides, but never quite keeping up with the swells, relying just on the little surface windswell that was mixed in, but, but suffering. Um, when I got the Albatross, the signature foils, uh, Albatross 210, that big old, one of the first like true high aspect wings out there. That thing was such a game changer and and uh really opened up the south side you know the difficult area of downwind and started being able to go from you know uh nukes down to down to cow's ass zones um kind of like yeah. started getting regular at that and then, and then going further from there but the day i really understood downwinding and the differences with the the wind swell and the ground swell was the first super hard east winds we had on the south side uh, excuse me west winds we had on the south side and it's yeah. there was no you know no ground swell mixed in all just that surface surface little waves and chops and i was on my normal like a, a normal surf wing foil at the time and remember paddling out and um and going against the normal grain of of what we usually send for 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 little runs on the south side and just getting up on foil and going wherever i wanted there's just bumps everywhere a little windswell chops and being able to cruise and it wasn't even on high aspect wing and it just it was easy all the way all the way into you know poipu beach and that little cove right there and that was kind of like the the light bulb moment it was like holy crap it's you know there's way too much uh way too much ground swell out out on on these other days and that's just kind of like the light bulb moment for me when i really understood the difference between the two different kind of swells and then um and then of course the high aspect wing mixed in with there just made things possible but man i struggled for so long <laughs> and and then when i did get that high aspect wing i was the only buddy in my friend group for quite a while that had one so no one else could really go with me because they're still stuck on yeah. the, the surf wing they're like frick you bro. i'm not going <laughs> Tell yeah i remember when you guys were sending those west wind runs um across there and I still had my surf wing, so I wasn't even trying at that time. But I was really, I was really fascinated. I was like, "Oh, these guys—they're—they're they're just riding across the the bay here, you know, on no waves, pretty much." Is <laughs> yeah. what it looked like from right from, from the deep. shore. It looks yeah. flat, right? And you get out there, and there's yeah, there's knee and waist high bumps everywhere, and just full pinball. Okay, so this past November. Um, Jason and Pono from Foil Fever put on the Foilers of Aloha Classic. Um, well, tell me about your experiences. It was some of the biggest Kalapaki Bay surf that I'd seen. Um, and the contest was absolutely pumping. Tell me, tell me about it. Well, that day was pretty memorable. We woke up pretty early and drove down to the beach. And, you know, as we're driving over there on the street, um, 
there's literally waves coming up the street. There's white water coming up the street. It was coming over the break wall, and there was literally waves that were coming halfway up the street. Was it King and there, Yeah, so there was a two-and-a-half-foot tide in the morning at, like, 4 o'clock. Which is huge and then we for had this, you know, Which is big for Hawaii. You know, two foot is a big tide here, but it was, like, two-and-a-half feet, so it was extra big for us. And yeah, that combination with the swell, um, there is a couple of, uh, you know, uh, junk cars that were parked over there by the, by the, by the parking lot and they were like getting flooded. There was literally big boulders that were getting pushed around. Um, and the cops had to come down and close the road off because the waves were crashing up over the break wall. And that was probably, I've probably only seen Kalapaki like that maybe one other time in my life. And that was pretty much as big as it gets. It was, it almost, it was almost closing out the bay um, at one point in the afternoon when the tide got low. And yeah, that was like, I went out in the morning before the contest and I wanted to try a, a different wing. Cause you know, the day before it was one to two foot, and, <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all riding our bigger wings cause we thought it was going to be small. And we wake up and it's six foot, you know, and we're like, oh, okay, maybe I want to ride a smaller wing, you know. So I put on my 90 and I jump out there and and I catch a wave or two and I'm, I'm like, it feels great dropping in on the wave. Uh, and then as soon as I kicked out and tried to pump back out, uh, it was really hard and it lost a lot of my, my speed. That 90 likes to go really fast. So I went back and switched back to the 120 which I had been dialing in for the last few weeks for the comp I was planning on riding it, get my tails all dialed in my mass position. And I ended up going back to that. And it was a lot of, a lot of survival foiling actually uh, some crazy drops. And the rules were that you could only do a two for one. So you could drop in, kick out, pump back out and connect one wave. And then after that, it was done. I remember from so the first contest, the, um, if someone was, you had to give priority to, if you're going for the, for the two for one, you had to give priority to yeah, someone so, that was paddling into their first wave. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you're pumping back out and somebody's paddling for a wave, you, they have the right of where you gotta let them go. You gotta pump back out to the next one. Uh, so that happened to me a couple of times where I was pumping back out and I'm like getting ready to do my connection turn and somebody's getting ready to drop in. So you had the, you know, skip that one and go out to the next one and get that one. And, uh, it was, it's really cool. It was cool having everybody come from all over Hawaii, big Island, Maui, Oahu. We even had people come from the West coast and East coast. People come out here, um, for the contest, which is really, really cool. And, uh, got to meet some, uh, you know, put some faces to some Instagram handles and, you know, not just, Kind of meet people in person and not just know them, you know, message them through Instagram. Right. It was pretty cool to make some connections. And, uh, yeah, that was like, that was unreal that day, man. We just were so blessed with um, beautiful waves. The weather was, was unreal. It's sun, sunny day, no, no rain. Uh, it was like a little northerly winds, so it was like straight offshore. Which made the you know the drop-ins a little difficult. Even yeah, even um, harder, right? Yeah, even harder. You got the wind blowing up the face, and you know, 
you know, most most everybody out there was kept saying, I've never even foiled waves this big. Like <laughs> <laughs> and you know, luck like for me, I you know, I surf pipe and I've surfed big waves and and man, even that little three, four foot wave on a foil, man, it feels like a ten, twelve footer, you know, and you're dropping in and just trying to keep the nose down. And um yeah, that was that was uh that was a special day for sure. How did your heats uh, go? Uh, so my my first heat, uh, I was in the, I think I was in the third, second heat maybe. Um, so yeah, the way that they were doing it was uh, first would advance all the way to like the third round, and then second and th- uh, third would go into a uh, uh, a repo. Right. And so. So yeah, I, I ended up surfing five times that day, five sessions that day. I had I had one uh, in between session for lunch. I went out to Donkey Point. It was so good I couldn't not go out. It was firing, and yeah, there is it was jacuzzi life out there, and we were getting screamers all the way across the bay to the beach. It was so fun. When it's that big, um, donkeys, and then yeah, the that wave even at you know head high, the way it sucks up. Like you have to start paddling for the wave crazy early, like plan way ahead. Oh, right? it was, it was, it was like good for shortboarding. The waves were like uh, top to bottom, right. you know, it wasn't like Mushburger, like when it's small, right. it, there was actually like good form. Like you could have had fun on your shortboard, uh, but we're out there foiling and um, yeah, just screamers all the way from the point to the beach. And uh, I almost missed my, my third heat. I, I was out there and I literally went in, grabbed my jersey and went straight back out. <laughs> I was so gassed. I was so gassed. So froth though. <laughs> <laughs> so frothy though. And then everybody's there and everybody's frothing, you know, and the, the energy level is really high and guys are charging, you know, guys are doing strapless airs and, and, you know, dropping into double ups and just like the craziest stuff was going down that day and yeah it was really hard um because you know you drop in and um you know the wave peters out pretty fast and there's so much water moving that day that the inside um by the river mouth uh there there is so much current and stuff going through there that as you would foil through it you could feel uh, all the little uh, currents on your foil so it was really hard um, to do turns in that area so a lot of us were kind of kicking out uh, pumping back out the back and getting our connection and, and doing our turns kind of in the outside where it was a little more critical i can't imagine and, how turbulent um, the inside was on a it day was crazy like that it, size it because was, even even head height head over half sometimes like it's super turbulent in there and that's where you're kind of like, well, let me ride to the inside so I can get a couple of turns off. But it's, yeah, it's opposite. Yeah. And normally that's where it, that's normally where it backs off a little bit and you you can kind of get some nice little walls right there and you can do some carbs. Um, but that day there was so much water moving around in there. Like, yeah, people were getting bucked off left and right. Um, definitely like everybody was pretty overfoiled that day. Um, but you kind of had to be, so it was like, okay, gnarly drop, kick out, and you wanted to pump. You wanted to be able to pump back out. That was kind of the key. 
because you weren't really getting a score from just dropping in and doing a couple turns. Right. You really had to have that connection and, you know, length of ride um, and size of wave too. And getting um, out because to- there definitely were bigger ones coming in that day. And some people were staying way far inside and just getting white waters. And what I noticed is that um, they were rewarding the larger waves that day. Rightfully so. So I was, yeah, I was focusing on trying to get on the biggest waves that I could get on that day. And I had a couple where I was pumping back out and man, these things were so big. I'm like climbing up over it on my foil and coming over the top of it and just running out of, of uh, mass, just, just breaching them out of the backside of the wave because it's so tall and so steep um that i missed the connection you know pumping back out right uh, it's... pumping back out i see this wave coming i see this set out the back i'm like yeah here you go and then i go over the top of this one and it's so steep already that i i just boop, popped right out of the back of it and breached and fell and, <laughs> and missed the connection <laughs> but yeah i i ended up getting a couple of those where i actually made it all the way back out and and hooked into a couple probably some of the you know bigger waves i've ever paddle proned into and you know i I did a lot of um tow foiling last summer on the south side Mm -hmm. um over at davidson's with uncle mike lynn uh so we had some good sessions this summer you know 10 12 foot and uh we actually had you know we had that big south this summer yeah we had that huge south swell just gonna ask so it was actually really yeah it was really good over here and uh we had some really good sessions at tigers and and daves and over by uh you know st Clair's over there um so yeah i i i felt like that really helped me a lot when coming into the contest and, and knowing the waves are going to be a little bigger like that because i i've felt like i've built up some confidence um toe foiling you know going 30 miles an hour and you know, controlling the foil and all that kind of stuff. Dave's is where I've had my biggest um, foil waves, probably by a factor of two. Um, towing outside churches and, and, and Dave's there, six to eight foot bombs. Um, I remember I went out with Asia one day and the smallest wing I had was an Armstrong 1050. And that's a fairly small, <laughs> small wing, at least at the time. Uh, but yeah. it, that wing has a lot of lift for, you know, it's small, but it has a lot of lift, like a pretty lifty foil section <laughs> and had some yeah. glorious breaches that day, but it was kind of shocking that thing still kind of handled, um, well over, you know, like double overhead waves and Asia's crazy. You know, he'll see a set and will start going for it. And then he sees a bigger one. He just kind of looks back and smiles and like makes you go for the even bigger <laughs> one. <laughs> you know, it's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but there's man, that's such a great toe spot, man. Lefts and rights, and and water gets big there, dude. I have uh, I've I've uh, shot at at uh, tigers, but never foiled out there. Yeah. That's that's that looks fun too. There's a lot of water that moves out there as well. Yeah, that that wave can handle some pretty good size. Uh, one thing I learned about that wave is he you don't want to ride it all the way in because <laughs> it, it, it closes out on a dry reef. And uh, I had one where I, I rode it a little too far 
and it started the horseshoe at the end and I just barely skizzled out of the top of it and I almost got sucked over the falls with the foil and everything. <laughs> You're so done inside Look, there. It's so shallow and so turbulent. Like, like what do you do, right? This, yeah. It's, and then Uncle Mike get... was yelling at me. He's like, don't go in there. <laughs> He's like, you know, if, if you lose the board, we got to go get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're no leash, you know, so. Yeah. And you can't like, God, it's so shallow. You can't like paddle the foil. You, you just wing would be stuck on the reef. I had a uh, ex scary experience out there one time when it was bombing and I was normal surfing um, and a dude wiped out and I saw him and it was a pretty vicious wipeout. And I was, had to duck dive a couple sets and the the last time I saw him, I looked over in his direction to see if the guy was okay and I just seen his board like tombstoning. I'm like, oh my God, he's still down. And then duck dive another wave, another wave breaks. I look over tombstoning again and i started stroking and it took me like two three minutes to get over to the board and and uh and you know i freaking grabbed the leash and i followed it down to the bottom i was yanking on it it got pushed off another uh by a set you know popped up swam back over went down again and was, was just yarding on this leash and finally went down i felt it was stuck in the reef and i let it go and and came up and then you know looked around looked around and the guy was like walking in on the reef inside but it's you wow. know, false yeah false alarm but it was scary because it's it just pump it's it pounds it concentrates so hard right there and and it's such a long long zone of of there's no like you're not getting washed into the into the bay there you know it's just reef all the way to the shore so, yeah, it's all real shallow reef. So losing it, and there's a couple boulders in that area too, but yeah, losing your foil board, that would be a nightmare. And then you got the Hawaiians on the beach. Yeah. They, look out for They don't like it when you get washed <laughs> up in there either. No, they'll take your foil. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is mine. This is mine now. <laughs> Thanks, Yeah. Yeah, that's a sharky zone over there too, so it's not like you want to be swimming around in the water. Yeah, waiting for the ski to come pick you up. People don't know that's not like the uh, picturesque, crystal clear water on that coastline. It's it's brown, dark, and and definitely creepy. So, JD, uh, what else? Uh, what would you like to talk about? Uh so I had a few things down here, and then you could you'd be a good guy to talk to us about because you have experience um surf foiling in hawaii and and in the mainland you know california florida so maybe you could um you know i can give you a little bit and you could go a little bit um yeah just the differences between you know foiling uh the energy in the ocean in hawaii versus uh the mainland you know we we're out in the middle of the pacific here and in the mainland you guys have the continental shelf uh, which plays a huge role on the way, uh, you know, wave energy interacts uh, with the shoreline. And I've heard from people, I've personally never foiled anywhere else besides Hawaii, but I've heard from other people that they do feel, you know, some differences uh, in the energy and, and whatnot. So maybe you could touch on that a little bit. You know, you, you're just back here um, a few months ago and you know were you right in the same wings as you were back at home um in hawaii here no because i had a whole new setup um from 
all year prototyping. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And so yeah. it was, you know, a couple months before I went, uh, that's kind of when I finally hung up my Armstrong gear and was really concentrating on prototyping with the, the new freedom foils. So for that reason, no, I was on that stuff, but you know, the biggest difference is, is, um, you know, how in Hawaii it goes from such deep water to the shallow reefs, you know, that speed of transition right. and just that raw open, uh, ocean, there's nothing really slowing it down before it hits the shore and it really translates into the waves, you know, a, a shoulder high wave on Kauai is, is, you know, two, three times more punchy than a shoulder wave, uh, here in, in Florida and, and mm-hmm. California, I would say, is like kind of in between the, the two. It's a little bit punchy in, between, in California. Yeah. And, of course, it's always, uh-huh. you know, spot-specific or, you know, depends on the spot and the day yeah. and conditions, stuff like that. But as a general rule of thumb, for sure. And there's, there's you know, the, 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 sh- the how would you say that? The bottom contour is more gradual mm-hmm. here and, and in California. I've noticed in, like, pumping, when I went back, you know, last October, back home to Kauai, uh, you know, pumping out was easier and faster in some, in some zones and, and more difficult in others. And I kind of forgot, um, or took for granted, like our little channels we have in, on Kauai, where you cut out of a wave and you're mm-hmm. kind of pumping out through the channel and the channel has, you know, the reverberation off the beach plus a little current and, and I hadn't mm-hmm. pumped that fast back out toward a wave in a long time. I was tripping. Like you're going faster than the speed you're, you're, you're riding towards the shore um, oftentimes. And that was like, it was, it was such a gratifying feeling. Like I'm fucking flying it back out for my connection turn, you know, <laughs> covering like big distance. Yeah. But as soon as you come out of that channel or come into some turbulence, it hits, you got like a parachute on the back of your tail, you know, like you'll hit and you can yeah. really feel that difference. He, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast mainland, um, it's more of a flatter, less turbulent kind of pump around action. You know, you're you're not mm-hmm. getting as much mm-hmm. um, like help, but then you're not, you're also not getting as much resistant, resistance. Right. This is yeah. the biggest thing. So the another thing that you know we're uh, foiling on Kauai for years uh, before going to the mainland, um, like the white wha- whacking white water and attacking the lip and stuff. Is yeah. So much safer, so much easier. <laughs> and I remember watching videos like, "Frick, why can't we do that?" Like these guys are just playing with it, slapping it. And quiet, you go to hit the white water, you gotta be ready. That thing's gonna hit back. You know, it's so, so it, much, it's back, yeah. It's so much harder, right? It's, and even on quiet. I've just remember, been like, dabbling a little bit, yeah. Uh, on quiet remember, dabbling a little bit and start starting to hit some foam bangers and stuff and, and yeah, it's Taco City, man. You gotta be ready for it. Freaking dangerous, yeah. And, yeah. So on quiet, I would like search out, you know, these I'm not going to say my spots on air, but yeah, a couple of little spots that I love yeah. because they're, you could get more high performance on, on the whitewash, you know, little like kind of like wrap spots where the swell is wrapping in and wasn't direct hitting so hard. And, and it was, those, those days were like kind of few and far between compared to, compared to, you know, our, our daily, our daily waves, punchy waves. Yeah. But that being said, yeah. I, I, was, I was so hyped coming, coming home in October and just getting that juice again, that speed, you know, steep drops. Um, yeah, just the power. It was, it's so nice. It's 
So personally, I, I love both aspects and both fields. I, you know, I do, you know, too much time in Hawaii and I'm jonesing for some, you know, some pillowcases on the mainland and, and vice versa. <laughs> right. What about you? So, so I definitely, um, you know, we, I feel like we use smaller wings here um, just because we do have the power and the push. And I feel like, you know, when people come, they, they ride their wing that they ride back home and all of a sudden they're <laughs> overfoiled. And yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's a two foot wave here is, is probably like a four foot wave in Florida, you know, it's, it's got that much power. Um, so yeah, tuning's a little different, you know, we definitely, uh, tune a little different, I feel like, um, in that sense. And, you know, just the, the amount of, uh, accessibility to like waves that we have, you know, it's kind of limited. Uh, the mainland, it, it's so big, you know, there's just miles and miles and miles of coastline. Yeah. Um, you definitely have some choices, some options. And we're a little more, you know, limited here, a little more restricted in uh, what we get access to. Um, but, yeah, there's, you know, I feel like uh, foiling is a little more accepted here, though. You know, I feel like um, I, I, just from what I hear, um, there's a lot of resistance in other places, especially in, in the mainland in California and I hear in Australia and stuff like that. Yeah. I think and, Australia has it the worst, huh? Yeah. They have like full bands and certain beaches and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it's Hawaii. I feel like we're a little more accepting here and you know, there's, why, why would you say that I, I have my theories there, but why do you think in Hawaii? I, I imagine we're aligned on this. Yeah, I, I think it's um, just because Hawaii is such a, a, a kind of a melting pot here. You know, we are, um, there's lots of different cultures here. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I see it as, as you know, Hawaii is, is you know, surfers, n- Many of the surfers, they're, you know, they're watermen in general, water women. Um, right. Yeah. And I know, like, growing up, I used to boogie all the time, you know, and even high school, you know, yep. I was a surfer through and through, shortboarded, but I, you always had a, at least boogie and fins in the, in the back of your truck for, you know, the shore pound or just to go, you know, yep. tool around. And, and uh, it's, you know, I feel like in Hawaii, the, the wave riding is very open-minded, you know, single fans, long boards, yeah, guns, 20s. I think that's, yeah, that's, canoes. that's something here. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think that's something here that's, that's, uh, you know, um, people, uh, appreciate and they, they recognize, um, you know, the people that do the water sports and that are, you know, as you say, water men, water women, and, you know, we're surrounded by, and uh by the ocean so you know the best thing for us to do is to to play in it you know be a part of it so right and why limit yourself to one specific wave riding craft when that's not the right conditions or day for it right there's when you have yeah totally tools and in different varying conditions and spots at your disposal it's like okay yeah and that's grab the right tool for the job 
that's the way I look at it. Yeah, it's just having the right tool for the job, for the day, whatever the conditions call. Who's inspiring you right now out in foiling? And how have that, how have they or them influenced your, your foiling style? Um, one thing I'll say that you do is really impressive is, is you, you like, you throw spray on your lift. Maybe you're a 122, but I really noticed back on the trip on, on when you're riding your lift 90, you have, you know, you have your rail game smooth and, and hard carves, but you've also got these snaps like down, you come up, snap and like full intentional, like throw spray, seamless, keep riding. Well, that was one thing when I first started foiling, it may sound weird, but it's one thing I missed about surfing was throwing spray. Same here, hundred percent. I think most, most surfers achieve any kind of level. I, I think it's there too. Like how gratifying is it? Like blasting open the lip and then hearing the, hearing the rain. <laughs> yeah. Spraying guys and stuff, you know, <laughs> that's what we grew up. That's what we grew up doing. You know, you, go pump out into the channel just so you can spray the guy in the face you go know? way out of your way yeah right growing up yeah, go yeah. way out of your way you'll ruin a wave just as long as you can spray your boy <laughs> paddling back out yeah yeah but yeah the uh you know learning foiling and and learning how to kind of throw a little spray you know with the foil has been fun and you know with all these uh new high aspects that we have everybody's you know they're trying to refine their wings um so that they're better for breaching and they don't ventilate and and you know stall or or you know do any of that and they're 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 figuring it out it seems like um i still have some trouble on my 120 every now and then you know and go a little too hard and cavitate the whole foil out of the water um but yeah, I think, um, you know, when you do get your tips out, that's probably one of the most critical, uh, points you could be in, uh, when you're foiling, especially on the um, steeper because, waves in Hawaii, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, you're introducing air to the foil, um, which, you know, so during that turn, during that breach, you know, you're kind of controlling um how much of it's coming out are you trying to at least so i've learned that the angle you attack um the height of your mass relative to the width of your wing is really important so i found that when you're too high on your mass and you try to turn um not enough there's not enough angle of attack on the wing uh, so when it breaches uh, the cavitation will travel across the wing and you'll lose lift. So what I've learned is that you want to be a little deeper on your mass uh, when you initiate your turn. Uh, so that way, when your wingtip comes out, you're going to, you know, it's a better angle of attack uh, in the water there. And yeah, that, that's, there's a few guys definitely that are, are, are good at that, you know, wing, wingtip breaching and, I, I really draw inspiration from a lot of these guys that used to be pro surfers or they're really hardcore surfers growing up and they bring their surfing style uh, in the foiling. And you can definitely see the difference but when you look at guys um, like Kane, you know, he's doesn't have much of a surfing background. He kind of, 
he's kind of the one guy is like you know the example of what just foiling kind of looks like you know their style mm-hmm. and then you see all the other guys that you know have their surfing background and they the way they stand their body position the way they you know move their arms um and their shoulders and their hips and all that is it's a lot different than you know the way you see some guys ride some guys like to ride really straight up and vertical their knees are almost locked out uh stance really close together and then you'll see other guys the complete opposite a really wide stance really low to the board and they make it work you know it works for them and i think it's kind of about just finding your style that kind of works for you and, and your body mechanics because we're all shaped differently you know right. our weight distribution is different and so yeah there's you know guys like zane westwood um you know of course guys like adam bennett's uh and then there's even guys like like kyle maligro like he's a used to be a pro bodyboarder <laughs> you know and you like look at him and he's got like this killer surf style you know and it's just like everybody's got their style which is really cool and i think foiling kind of gives you um the ability to have style because you do spend a lot of time kind of just standing there you know um I, I went surfing a, like a month ago for the first time and I was like, wow, this is hard. This, this is a lot of work. Like, you know, you drop <laughs> in and you really got to drive the board and push it and go. And there's like, there's no delay. You got to kind of be like snap, snap, whap, off the top, off the bottom, you know, foiling, you drop in, you like cruise out in the flats and got all this time. Oh, okay. Bottom turn, come up, you know, there's a, it seems like there's a little more time. So, so there's a lot more in between time where, you know, you want to look, try to look stylish on, on foil, you know, cause there's a lot of time when we're just, it seems like we're just standing there, you know? Right. You, you, there's and people don't, re- there's more time people to that don't foil. Too, they right? don't. Under- yeah. Yeah. You reset so, time so, to reflect yeah. mid ride. You can reflect on what you just did and, and kind of set up and yeah, like, okay, let me that, try that again the on the thing. same wave. Yep. Yeah. More time. Uh, on writing just up on foil and, you know uh, i i go out and what was that uh, i say and i'd argue more time between turns usually too yeah to do a turn and yeah. then you've got you know more time for the next setup or you know you can kick out and pump over and like okay let me try that let me try that again you know <laughs> whereas yeah in the same flow right you don't yeah. have to really lose your flow and start over to to kind of like re- refine the previous turn or previous approach yeah and surfing you you spend so much time sitting there waiting for a wave and you know when you start foiling all of a sudden it opens up your your mind and your your eyes and you you look at the the waves and the surf spot a little different now and you know you you're not stuck to where that wave is breaking, you know, where quote unquote, the power is when you're surfing, uh, all of a sudden the whole wave is, is as energy where you can go. And once you learn how to, you know, tap into that energy, uh, the ocean's full of it, you know? So go out and surf for an hour, maybe get five minutes of riding time, you know, total and go out and foil for an hour and, get 20 minutes of writing time so for me i i you know i i got 
don't have all the time in the world, so I got to make the most of my sessions. And uh, I'd rather go out and foil an hour and get 15 minutes of writing time and, you know, then spend uh, an hour sitting there and catch five waves and surf for 30 seconds each wave, you know. Right. So that's the lure of foiling that's really drawn me to it is just more ride time. Just and less, for me, that's what's important. Less dependent less sitting, on conditions too, right? Takes, less dependent on conditions. Takes way All of a sudden, every single day. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. All of a sudden, a, a one-foot wave is, is more than enough to get my fill in for the day, you know, get my hour session in. Who are you? Uh, who's your main, like, foil buddies right now on Kauai? Uh, so my main guys I've been hanging out with, we, we actually have a good little crew, um, of, uh, sub senders. We got a, a WhatsApp, uh, text group going on here. And so we got, you know, Dane McBride, Ryan Price, Hammer, Kyle Maligro, Hammer, Hammer. Yep. Hammer. <laughs> Who else is in there? Let me, let me look at it real fast here. <laughs> so um, jealous, dude. So jealous. <laughs> Oh Jakey Perps, uh, Kevin Fujimoto, Hammer, Hammer, <laughs> Hammer, uh, Kai Molino, <laughs> Makana, Makana Denton, uh, Daniel Manet. So yeah, we we got a little crew and such um, good dudes too. You know, whenever freaking all those guys are watermen in their own right and and really good people. Yeah, yeah, all those guys rip it's it's cool our our foiling crew over here we were just at um on the east side yesterday and, and everybody was was hanging out down there so so yeah we're it's a small little community here on the island and um we all definitely you know hang out and hoo together and like i was telling you earlier it's like some of these guys are in their 60s and 70s you know and you know and then there's these teenagers and we're all just hanging out talking about foils and foiling and just the the stoke level is just is so cool so funny and i remember it's, it's oh sorry to cut you off i remember laughing no. a lot with with kyle kyle milligro um that like one of our best friends is 14 <laughs> you know that was mateo growing up <laughs> when, when he was getting into foiling, right you, you got know? this 14 year old kid calling you up like <laughs> yeah and you just chat it's like yeah. you don't yeah it's hilarious it's like hey what's up how's the surf bro it's like kids like halfway through high school you know and i had, I had two yeah. kids of my own and i'm like uh, hilarious man definitely a beautiful thing about foiling man it just it crosses all barriers yeah so we got a good crew uh whenever the winds you know start the forecast looks like it's gonna get windy we all start getting on there and and figuring out you know who's gonna shuttle and where to meet what time whatnot um hopefully tomorrow we get to go and do a send have you noticed uh, how looks like the winds are gonna do have you noticed how the proners kind of kind of backed off or peaked or, or peaked out the amount of prone foilers is that does that still ring true i know so many of the crew got got into winging and then kind of never looked back and and like reluctantly prone. Yeah. If there hasn't been wind for long enough, then like, ah, fuck, I'll, I'll go prone them. But that's kind of how it is. There's definitely some guys that are, are, are all about the wing. And yeah, you know, I, I, I have tons of friends that still surf and they don't, either they're closet foilers and they don't tell anybody about it. They do it when <laughs> nobody's looking 
I swear I got some friends that are closet foilers. I, there's they, they show interest, but they don't. You never see them doing it, you know. Right. So it's like you must be doing it behind your back, you know, or something like that. It's like they want to get but, good enough before they present themselves. Yeah, and it's like I I got a couple buddies that have kind of shown interest in it, and I'm gonna go and hopefully get them going. But uh, it's I don't know why. I think it's maybe just because I I grew up being a little more open minded. Like I used to bodyboard and. You know, I wasn't scared to do things that were different. And I grew up with friends that were really, you know, hardcore surfers. And that's kind of how it was in the 90s, right? We're growing up here. It's all about being, a, you know, a hardcore surfer. And, you know, everything else is lame, pretty much. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it was, you know. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, more open-minded to trying new things. and And I was never scared to, you know be a kook again i think that's a lot of people's problems is they're like i'm already good at this why am i gonna go and be a kook at something i spent 30 years you know getting good at you know i think a lot of nobody wants to go back to square one right i i think a lot of this they don't realize the joy of you know starting over is intimidating and frustrating at first but every session you're oh like the gratification yeah they don't, they don't yeah no the, part. the progression yeah. yeah and i've tried to show that to some of my friends you know show them the but hey guys you know i've surfed for 30 years of my life and all i do is foil now you know like that should tell you something <laughs> i think <laughs> you know? if i didn't grow up but, surfing stupid good waves you know around the world Hawaii, Costa Rica, um, I would probably still surf and foil right now, but I feel, I feel like so full and satisfied. Like I've had, you know, amazing waves, amazing experiences and travels. Like it's something that I still, I still want to get back into surfing. I'm just not going to do it here in Florida, (laughs) but you know, it's been a long time. Not the place to start. (laughs) No, I just can't bring myself through that torture. Um, not consistent enough here. Maybe if I, you know, sneak away, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but sneak away, get the skills back and then, you know, try and maintain them. That's a different story. But, but, um, lost my train of thought. What was I saying? What was my point? Anyway, anyway, yeah. I, um, oh, well, yeah. So I'm comfortable with, with, you know, the fact that I, I don't surf, especially for where I live. Um, on Kauai, it was, you know, part, you know, healing from, uh, you know, long time injury surfing really aggravated it. And that is part of my, you know, my, uh, my story and foiling how I, how I was, uh, you know, pointed that direction is easier on the body, but yeah, if, um, and you know, for the Groms out there, I would say, you know, be a surfer first, you know, learn that sport and then, and then, you know, branch out from there or, or learn them both simultaneously is fine for sure. But if, well there's valuable there's yeah there's valuable skills you're gonna learn in surfing that is gonna apply in foiling too you know just learning etiquette uh is probably one of the most important things that's a really Um, good point that is one thing that's a really good point yeah etiquette is huge on in in foiling or or you could easily miss out that that whole concept and because there is etiquette out there you know there is um and it's probably more so here in Hawaii than it is in the mainland. Um, you know, 
you know, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I don't got to tell you, <laughs> but for our listeners, yeah, there's, uh, there's etiquette in the lineup. It's not a free for all out there. Um, especially when you get into waves of consequence, you know, this is, this is your life on the line. Bombay you learn. Um, so Bombay you learn. Bombay you learn. Cracks kale law. So true. Mm. But yeah, the only thing I really miss about surfing, honestly, is the barrel. And that was for me growing up. That's all I ever did. I was a barrel hound. Yeah. You know, I spent my life chasing the barrel and got my fair share. And I, I definitely still miss the barrel. I mean, that's that's probably the only thing I'll go back to surfing for because uh, I haven't figured out how to get barreled on my foil yet. But you never know. Getting closer. <laughs> that day may come. Getting closer. <laughs> Just gotta find a big enough wave with the back door into it. <laughs> did you did you pack any at the foil contest? Any backside? Barrels? I tried. Yeah. I did. I tried. I almost had one where I dropped in and I, I was like in the perfect spot. Like if I was on a shortboard, I probably would have got barreled. But I was on the foil. I was going so fast. I actually dropped down and was gonna drag my butt, but I was you know like backside. Um, but then I realized I'm nowhere near the water because <laughs> I'm on foil, <laughs> but I full did the drop knee and grabbed the rail and like tucked in, like I was going to get barreled. But yeah, that day, I think Mateo pulled in a couple times. I seen a cane did, I think too. Pono, I seen a, a mean yeah. couple Pono on a double up packing. Guys are definitely trying to get barreled. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It's so uh, hard Jocko to slow had down. a crazy prone one. Yeah, that's the hardest part. That's why I was saying you gotta. It, you can only do it if you backdoor the section. I yeah, think. there's no way you're 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 getting into the thing and slowing down and staying in the pocket. Especially know? the nature. You're definitely coming from behind. Right. Yeah. It, especially the nature of the waves of that day that I seen on video and understanding that wave. You know, it's it's soft and then it freaking doubles up and ledges and gives you that gnarly speed boost and then you know simultaneously barreling so that's even harder to like fade out and kind of set yourself up for a barrel in this in, on that day in those conditions is is rough yeah shoulders that day was full barreling it, <laughs> it was top it was top to bottom like People we're all shoulders is there a, in the channel shoulders is a soft top wave you know <laughs> yeah in the middle of Kalapaki where it's usually like uh you know where they do surf lessons and stuff but yeah this day it was it was six foot hawaiian so it, it was it was top to bottom and barreling and some guys were were uh saying that um when they would get caught inside and they would duck dive that their foils were hitting the, the reef it was so shallow where the wave was actually breaking so you watch the video from that day and, and you know, the water's kind of brown there, so you can't really tell how deep it is. But you watch when those guys are dropping in, um, it's probably only like three feet deep right there. Yeah. Where those waves are breaking. Yeah. It's funny, I had my um my recorded my tracks from that day on my Dawn Patrol app and you know, you can see where you're where you're foiling at and where we were foiling was like almost in the middle of the day, uh, that day. Um, the, where we normally foil on a normal day is like way close to the break wall, you know? So it was, it was interesting to see how, how different it was breaking on that big swell there. It was almost a different spot, right? It had the same. It, it almost was, it, it literally was like everything, 
um you know that we all are normally used to like doing down there was totally different how we all had to change our game plans a little bit but uh interesting i i i noticed um um jack ho he had a he ended up winning the contest and uh he had a pretty interesting strategy i noticed he rode his 200 surfing all morning uh, all day actually until the final and then he switched over to his 90 Oh, and that was, um, yeah. And I see a strategy now when I think about it. Is it Bigger for the foil? Is it for the pump, the pump outs that they're so long? Yeah, yeah. for the pump outs. So he was able to, you know, manage that two hundred on the drops, and then he was able to just get the connections out the back, and you know, get the longer linking waves. And then you know, when he put on that ninety in the final, he was just flying all over the place and doing what he does you know and um yeah i ended up third that day somehow i don't know survived the day that's happening and, uh, battled it out with all the guys and an expression <laughs> and, session in yeah. between <laughs> and an expression session yeah that was a long day but it was so cool the word ceremony after was awesome at the canoe club there it was really nice that they they, uh, you know, had that for us and Duke's catered. So there's killer food and had a little award ceremony. And yeah, it was just a, it was an awesome day, man. I, I saw from that, um, I, they, those guys were talking a little bit about maybe trying to start some kind of circuit, a uh, little tour, like yeah. at least in Hawaii here. Yeah, And it would be cool to have like a, a contest on each island and have like a little like you know like a little tour in the islands here why not you know right they've done you know i think they've definitely done maui they're talking about maui Oahu. yeah they're talking about doing one in maui next year that'd be I great that's what they're talking about that's yeah sport what i love about um <clears throat> foil fever that crew you know jason tanglin and pono matthews and yeah. their whole crew is that they're also doing you know beach cleanups um non-profit stuff donation you know help yeah so the day before we went down yeah the day before we did a beach cleanup down there and you know that was our that was our good uh you know our good juju for the for the blessings that we got the next day with the, the waves yeah. went and cleaned up probably a thousand cigarette butts from the beach down there and uh it was really cool um you know all the not everybody but there's a lot of guys who came down you know and guys that flew over from outer island and whatnot and we all went around and just cleaned up the park you know the, the spot we like to hang out and enjoy the the waves and you know the least we could do is clean up a little bit right totally it's important yeah it just sets a good yeah a good name for foilers and and competitions all that stuff yeah it's a, they're doing it right yeah now. and they also they also uh were donating um money to a, a nonprofit organization that helps women and children here on the island, uh, which is awesome. That's great. I love it. Can't wait for you know the next contest and and I hope they they put a tour tour together. That'd be that'd be insane. Yeah, that would be so cool, man. I would I would love to go. I've never um, I've only followed on Oahu. Um, I would like to go to Maui and and check out those guys. They have some really killer spots. It looks like over there, perfect for foiling. Maui's insane because you can go prone foil like glassy waves in the morning, 
And then, you know, by 10, 11, the wind is nuking and you go downwind the rest of the day or winging. It's, it's, it's foil Mecca over there. It's so insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my list. I'm going to hopefully go out there this summer, do some downwinding. What, what else is on your, your podcast list that you wanted to talk about? Let's see. So we kind of talked about body mechanics already. Could maybe talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, what you were describing, like I would like to hear. Yeah, I would like to hear a little bit of kind of your take on it, like, um, you know, swing weight, you know, like weight distribution, arm movements, and foot placement, things like that. For me, I, I look at it two ways. There's kind of you know two different styles, and that's guys that are more upright and really surfing off their ankles. Um, you know, engaging their ankles so much, um, flying the foil that way. And then more the surf style where you're getting your hips a little more involved and more upper body, Mm -hmm. that classic surfing, you know, you're, you're leading with your, you know, your front arm and using your upper body through torque to follow through with that turn. And, um, and then there's, you know, somewhere in between as well. And I've tried to, I've tried to evolve a little, trying to get, not so heavily surf style in my foiling and try to evolve into a little bit more ankle and and narrow my stance up. And that has been a battle because, you know, same here, I've got 30 years of shortboarding ingrained in my brain. And it's kind of the feels I'm after when I'm foiling is chasing that sensation in a little bit different through a bit different of a lens, but that's how I'd break those down. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's been tough to kind of, kind of reformat my foiling or, or become sort of a hybrid approach. And I think it also depends on the type of conditions in the day you're in. Different styles lend to, you know, a different, um, you know, different performances on on different styles of waves. So I don't know, there's, I don't think there's any wrong or right way to approach and with those body mechanics, but um, for like full, you know, aggressive whitewater rebound bangs, um, you know, I would definitely lean into, you know, the surf style. And not to say the guys that are more off their ankles can't do that. Um, you know, Kane, I think, is an outlier. He can do it all. You know, Kahi has that, or yeah. um, Keahi, excuse me, has that similar style. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. what. How do you view your approach as your shortboarding? Uh, well, growing up, you know, we used to, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do before I went and surfed was watch a surf video, you know, to get, get psyched up for. And growing up, you know, we, uh, I'd watch videos and I was always, I was always keen to like studying, um, body movement and how guys would, you know, move their body when they would surf. And that was something I always tried to emulate and try to replicate. And even to the extent of, you know, you got your favorite, you know, guy, I would watch it in the mirror just so you could see him, you know, surfing the other way, you know, so you could see how his body was moving. And, you know, I used to set up the little mirror and watch my my surf video in the mirror so you could see the reflection and it would be the opposite. That's hilarious. I I used to do that with Andy because he was a regular foot and I was a goofy foot. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. and when I got into video editing, I, I could just go in and switch it in, you know, 
switch it right yeah, on the computer, yeah. which was kind of epic. But yeah, the mirror trick, bro. That's so that's so hilarious to say that. You want to translate it into your your stance, right? Yeah. So I I try to do that in my foiling now. You know, I, there's a lot of there's you know a lot of good guys out there to emulate now and to study, and yeah, learning. Um, you know how you know twisting your upper body this way and then swinging it back the other way how it affects the board in the foil because uh, it is a little bit it is quite a bit different from um from surfing i would say you know uh just going back and forth between surfing and foiling uh it takes a few waves for me to kind of get back into the groove because yeah the, the pressures are definitely different you know the foot pressures the way you use your rail when you surf um and, and just that finding the energy in the pocket uh when you're surfing is uh, i find it's probably more challenging uh than foiling because the foil the foils are so efficient nowadays surfing um, you have to generate about putting it yeah you have to generate your own speed so much more especially you have to like generate your own surf. speed yeah especially yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah it's all about having a good paddle and a good pop-up and getting that you know, get that drive. Um, what I've been playing around with lately, or I, I guess not lately, but I kind of go back and forth and I fall out of habit, but it's, it's playing with uh, hip angle, you know, dropping my knee, my, my back foot, um, my back knee and kind of, you know, angling it in for a little tighter arc and, and, and shifting the, but that is kind of shifts your hips more forward. So you're not as parallel stance and it lets your, um, I don't, I don't even know how, do you, how would you describe that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So like when you're, when you're up on foil and you know, you're really high on your mass and you feel like you're going to breach, you can kind of do this little, I almost, I call it the knee tuck. It's like a little knee tuck and just dropping that back leg and just, shifting your weight a little bit more forward uh can kind of help keep the nose you know keep the foil in the water so you don't overfoil. right that shifts your and, hips slightly forward right and, and just yeah a little, it's that touch little weight. weight shift mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i know what i was trying and, to say now with uh with dropping the back knee is when you're in, in like a full-on like you know snowboard stance and you're going for your turn there's a moment in that turn when if your hips are all in line and even if you're using your upper body to follow through and in, in as uh, using that torque, there is a an awkward moment like halfway through the turn when you're looking over your shoulder back at the whitewash or 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 the bowl where you almost get a hiccup or your your turn is drawn out and, and you're not turning as tight. And I noticed, you know, similar to surfing as well, when you drop that knee, you're shifting your hips forward. Um and you're able to carve like a tighter arc and the body mechanics just draw your foil back up into the bowl or the whitewash where you're aiming for that tighter arc. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I think foiling is, is one of those things like it's so nuanced. Like there's so much going on um, so fast. There's all these little micro adjustments that are happening that to the, to the average person, they can't see that, you know, uh, but for us foilers, 
we know like how difficult it is to manage that foil when you're going that fast or you're in that steep critical part of the wave you know and there's that's one thing i really like about foiling is is the really long drawn out turns like you said it's it's like you're snowboarding it's a hawaii's version of uh snowboarding it's the closest we get blue powder <laughs> the blue powder the blue powder yeah and you know just doing big like long drawn out turns and being able to hold your turn all the way through and, and get speed and project out of your turn uh with that much momentum is is just amazing that's such that's something that you can't get really in surfing in surfing yeah you often your turns will will burn burn off your speed you know you decelerate when you yeah there's moments you know in in you know tight critical sections you can you know snap out of a turn and, and gain speed but it's nothing like setting a rail in in foiling and and you're doubling your speed through a turn it's such an insane feeling right the g-forces that you feel yeah so you mentioned shimming earlier well what and i know you're riding lift do you have um aftermarket setup to to be playing with shims or are you base plate shimming walk me through that so i've been riding lifts um probably like that was uh, the first foil i got after my cloud nine um everybody was had lifts here so i kind of went with the lift do you remember me dogging uh, you for for riding the um the cloud nine i was like man you're too good you're you're way past this foil this thing's holding your back no i remember you telling me that and um yeah i i felt like i got to a point where i was i figured out the foil enough and it was kind of holding me back a bit and um i got a lift 200 surf wing and man i got that thing and and before that i could maybe do a two for one if i was lucky and then i got that 200 surfing and i started doing three for ones four for ones and yeah that really was like game changer i i that's probably what really set the hook and uh really got me hooked on foiling i remember and after that it was pretty much my foil after that. yeah my impression um in that kind of time period before you before you jumped on the 200 um you were kind of like one foot in one foot out you're foiling now and then but if the waves are good yeah you're, you're surfing you're you're gone like no i was still it. surfing a lot mm -hmm. i was still surfing a lot during that time for sure i was definitely one foot in one foot out and then after i got the lift i just i went full in i also remember the first time i seen you on the lift i was like oh, i'm not gonna catch a wave for like three minutes <laughs> jd's gonna be on it you're like a pumping beast you just look so stoked you're because you're you're watching us on on better wings just like double triple dipping all over the place and yeah like, Fuck these guys you're on the albatross already yeah. you're like on the albatross doing like four for ones and i was so jealous watching you guys i could barely do a two for one and then yeah and then the the high aspects came out and i got a 120 pretty quickly and I hopped on that thing, man. It was like it was like learning how to foil all over again. Uh, it was like standing on a teeter totter <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> the first, yeah, the first like five waves, I just like had these like catastrophic breaches, and I was like, I had a moment where I was like, man, am I gonna be able to ride this thing? Like. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to sell it because I wasn't going to be able to ride it. And then I figured it out and 
yeah, ever since then, it's just been, I, I got the whole lineup. I got the 200, the 170, the 120, and the 90. And uh, I used the, the 170 for my SUP, and the 120 is probably my daily driver that I pretty much take out every day. If the waves are a little bigger, uh, I'll ride my 90. And just playing around with some, some tells, I've been, um, lately, I've been on the new carve lift tells, the 26 and the 33. And those tells um, with the extension, uh, the little three-inch extension that lift makes, uh, that really opens up that tell. It's really loose um, without that extension, which some people like. Um, if you like to do tighter in the pocket kind of snappy turns, uh, it's going to be great for that. Uh, but you lose a lot in the pump. Um, for me, I like to pump and, you know, do connection turns and, and you know, do four for ones or whatever. Uh, and then prior to that, I had, um, I got one of those uh, extensions, uh, sorry, not extension, uh, uh, the tail adapters. Uh, I had a, 34 surf tail that I got originally with my 200 and there's this guy Greg uh, on a Wahoo Struberg who makes these, yeah yeah he's the guy man he makes the sick extensions and and the tail adapters uh, so I sent them the tail and he uh, made me a, a custom tail and then I got a hold of some uh, some Katie Maui some King um tells i had the 13.5 and then i got a boomerang and i just got the 13r not that long ago and yeah it was you know i i kind of you know going into foiling it's it can be a, a little intimidating all these numbers and these bolts and all this kind of stuff you know Surfing's pretty simple. You got your leash and your fins, you know, and that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, foiling, there's, you know, all these different positions, and it's a game of, you know, centimeters. That now we know, right? It's a game I, of centimeters. I, you know, now it's a game of millimeters. It's a, it's now it's millimeters, it's right? We've gone even further. It's insane what a yeah. millimeter difference makes in a foil section, in um, a shim. And yeah, it's insane. It's insane. The, the, and you know, now because you've gone through the whole, you know, prototyping process. And before that, even just, you know, whacking tails and shimming base plates and, and, and tails chop, and shop. chop shop, baby, you know, it. Yeah. chop shop, baby. <laughs> Learn a lot. So yeah, I remember you guys started, you guys started cutting tails and stuff. You guys started chopping tails. And I didn't even think that that would make a difference. You know, that's how naive I was. And, and yeah, it started playing around with some, some tells and it really, um, prior to that, I was using the 25 glide tail on the 120, and I was having a really hard time, um, pumping with that. Um, you know, I'm about 175 pounds, um, about 5'10", and, it was a little, the wing felt a little small for me on some days, uh, especially with that smaller tail. Uh, and then as soon as I put the, the tail adapter and one of those cane tails on, oh man, I was just like 
pumping all over the place it really made a huge difference and prior to that i i didn't realize how uh, much of a difference a, a tell can make i've and you then, I, I know i'm not the first person to say that or i doubt it but i do i <clears throat> i equate the tail in a surfing analogy to your skags you know you, you swap out this 100 the tail is kind of like you know skags for different days different conditions so the front wing's like the board and the tail fin is like the fins, the skags. Right. <laughs> I have no idea what to yeah. call the actual board and then and then shims. <laughs> but we'll we'll come up with something eventually. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, so, yeah, swapping the tail is like swapping out, you know, the Kelly Slater fins for the Aki fins. Right. And then you go even further and you start playing with shims and fuselage length and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it can get really, uh, really technical. And I think that could be one thing that kind of scares a lot of people um, from getting into it is that they see, you know, there is kind of a technical aspect to it. And for myself, you know, I, I'm, I like that stuff. I, I get into it, you know, all the little, little, you know, little differences and things like that, playing around with stuff. And yeah, I, I haven't played around with too many tell shims i've honestly been playing around with some base plate shimming um and that was probably just because the board i was writing at the time uh, i don't think the boxes were set perfectly straight in it it was a little i might have a little tail rocker so i was kind of countering um that with the base plate shim um but when i was using my sup with my lift uh i was base plating uh shimming the base plate a little bit uh before i drilled the mast to help get it further forward and it was actually helping a little bit so if anybody uh has a kalama e361 or those e3s and uh, you use lift uh highly recommend drilling your mast plate just make sure that the back screws are past uh where the spot is to put the the nuts in there because right. we had a couple guys here who drilled it and the back nuts ended up right where the slot is where you put them in um but yeah world of difference world of difference talk me uh a little through your... what was that i got a barracuda coming oh unreal how big yeah. uh seven one i think insane. the last time i talked to Dave, he said seven one insane so stoked i have a uh, 70 freedom foil board dagger coming on thursday i'm so amped because i've been nice. i've been struggling on 6-2 prototype dagger that we did and in hood river i, I tried that the 70 and it was just so much easier um you know the conditions aren't they're not it's not cranking here that often um so i i need the extra help for sure it's, I, i'm really looking forward to it but that brings me to another question is um, kind of talk me through your your board writing evolution in foiling. Um, so, I mean, like... I remember your first I'm board, right and it was, it was you know, kind oh. of a plank. It was a, a little more of a, you know, first-gen, yeah. second-gen kind of idea on foil boards when we didn't think the boards mattered quite as much. Um, yeah, it's, fun it's funny how we used to think the board didn't matter, right? But now that we're, you know, hitting white waters and, you know, we're touching down more on purpose, it does make a difference, right? Huge difference. And Incredible. I've, 
I've, you know, we went, we kind of went in both directions. We went real short, right, and real wide. And now people are going long and skinny. And, you know, touching down um, is one of those things that it's going to happen while you foil, most likely, you know, you're going to come down at some point. Uh, and being able to come get your foil back up is pretty important. And so, you know, when guys were first starting, we were, we were just taking short boards and putting boxes in them pretty much, you know, <laughs> or long boards board. or whatever, you know, yeah. broken long boards. We were just square tails and just slapping boxes in them and, you know, breaking them too, obviously. And, um, yeah, the more I get in the foiling and the more, you know, you do more, uh, you know, more banked over turns and things like that, you notice where the board actually touches down. And I think I have, I've gone towards more of a softer rail, more of a traditional kind of a short board rail. Mm -hmm. uh, some people like really hard edges, uh, you know, like, like some of those, um, you know, I think Freedom was probably one of the first ones to make like the techno, right? With all those crazy contours and bevels and things like that. And I think we went a little too far at some point, right? Certainly. I, I think uh, you might be referring to the Rubik's that had a bunch of crazy Rubik's, concaves. Yeah, yeah. the mm -hmm. Rubik's. Yeah, that was the one. So, yeah, in, I remember in testing, when we had one of those. Yeah, in testing that board, this is where, this is what gravitated me towards um my design concepts on the foil the world pro um was hitting whitewash on the rubik's and how grabby it was it was like right the previous i had was was fairly flat i had done a prototype with with lance ebert super talented shaper on the west side of Kauai, and we kind of mimicked a shortboard and i noticed how much easier it was to reflect off reflect off the whitewash um, and even touching down in turns, the rail seemed to, it didn't grab. It seemed to just kind of shear the water off. And, and that's where I first started playing with, um, sharp rails and, and yeah, and, and, you know, ended up developing the foil of world model with freedom. And that was, that was the first, you know, board they had with sharp rails and they've adapted it through, through majority of the models. But I've, I, um, one, I came to that realization through, um, through, through the feels. And then another was watching video in slow motion and breaking it down see how the board reacts. And it seemed like, I mean, it's just, it's not reinventing the wheel, right? It's just, it's going back to, to what worked in shortboarding and, and yeah. seeing how the water flows and coming off the rails. Um, not, and that's not to say that softer rails don't work and don't, don't slide through the water as well. I don't think we've figured anything out like uh, completely definitively, but um, for me, that design um, works really well in this, in in in, uh, in touchdowns on on angle and in you know whitewater hits and lips and stuff on angle. Where the Rubik's and that kind of concave bottom um, worked really well was touching down in a straight line come off you breach right. and bouncing and mm -hmm. and i think that's why the rubik's kind of took off in popularity for for a wing board you know a crossover like smaller sinker wing board yeah. is that you know boosting mm -hmm. and you can kind of skip off the water and feel like those channels really help you like 
zip up if you have speed. If you're going slower, deep concaves do seem a little bit um, suctiony, you know, kind of suction cup you to the wave. So yeah. there's, there's a diminishing return there. You know, you have to not too much, not too little type of thing. So yeah, I, so I had that little, I had that little, little uh, three ten, which was too small for me, and then um, I think I got a board from you actually. Was um, oh you, you? That's right. Um, that was I, one I had of the an early prototype. prototype of the For the World Pro. Yeah, it had it had those rails yep. ready, but we mm-hmm. went too far in the rocker. Um, yep. And that's what it was yeah so that board had to have quite a bit of base plate shim just to be able to fly the board but yeah uh, man in 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 rebounds the thing was amazing because you never really dug the nose and in like recovering you know um recovering from moves like getting stuck in a lip or hitting whitewash in a steep in your it the nose popped up you know it kept the nose out of the water pretty well yeah um and that's you know why you know my my board model I've I put quite a bit of nose kick in it I, f- I found it really helpful for you know strap boosting recoveries and, and landing that kind of stuff, but the the angle was too extreme through throughout the tail to, to you know place the foil at any kind of reasonable angle of attack. Yeah, so I I remember you're telling me you had to have it way far forward and then then you were uh, base plate shimming too. So I I did the same thing. I ended up. Uh, shimming the base plate and the board were good uh that definitely that board uh was a big change from that 310 i went from you know it's still a smaller board uh but a little bit more leader so i was able to you know catch some more waves and um yeah like you're saying like that board uh definitely like rebounds off the white water really well like it tracks like when you're going uh, in the white water and you're not on foil and the board's just like on the water, it, it actually surfs pretty well. Um, which is, you know, what I feel like you want after you, you know, you do a foam banger or whatever, and you come down, you're going to be on, most likely you're going to be on the water, you know, the board's going to be tracking. So you want it to track straight, you know, you don't want it to have any weird, uh, angles where it's going to track off to the left or the right and throw you off balance. You want it to, you know, go nice and straight so you can bring it back up on foil pretty easy. From there, from that board, where, where did you go? What was um, from that board, uh, I went straight to your, your new one, your, your, uh, production, um, for two. Oh, there's nothing in between. What, nope. what, how big, do you remember how big the prototype was? I think it was 4.0 or 4.2. I remember you were telling, it doesn't have any um leaders written on it, but I remember you are telling me it's probably like 28 or something like that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about which right. Is, yeah, which is pretty, which is like what my shortboard is. I read like a 28 liter shortboard normally. So it was a little small for me. Um, the board that four two is what is it thirty one liters, thirty or, yeah thirty liters thirty liters yeah so yeah a couple more liters, um definitely uh, helped with catching some waves, and then yeah I've just been riding that board, um, since ever since it came out yeah, and then now you're um, 
you're on a Ford, right? Yeah. So um, I I got a Ford um, from the contest, and um, as a prize. Yeah. Oh, and unreal. Steve, Steve was uh, Steve came out. Uh, Steve Ford, he came out and uh, actually surfed in the event, and uh, I got to meet him, and we actually got the foil uh, over at Horner's, um, and really awesome guy, man. He makes some killer boards. The guy's been, you know, shaping boards, surfboards, longboards, all kinds of boards for, you know, over 30 years or whatever. He's got the experience, and uh, yeah, I got this board. It's 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 quite a bit bigger. It's about 38 liters. And, but it's only a four two. Um, and I love it for spots. Some of the spots we have around here where it's kind of a long paddle out to the, where the waves are breaking. And yeah, it's great for those spots and you can get out there and, and I don't notice too much of the swing weight. It is a little bit heavier of a board, you know, it's more leaders. Um, but I've figured out how to, you know, manage it. And that's kind of been, yeah, what I've been writing now. And that board is pretty soft. There's not a, many hard edges on that board. Uh, the rails are pretty, pretty soft. They do have a little bevel in them, but they don't have any real hard edges. And that board does pretty good on touchdowns. It's. I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I've kind of forgot about too. Living here in Florida is that, you know, on Kauai, I used to have you know, my daily driver and then a step up board because the spots, yeah, probably 10, 12, 15 minute paddle outs, some of these reefs super far. And then you catch one wave and you got to go do that again, like basically starting over yeah. from the shore. And then especially, you know, when it's bigger, when there's current and turbulence in the water, just getting out to the spot is so much nicer having those extra leaders. And then of course, you know, paddling down the face of four, five foot Hawaiian, Freaking Southside bomb! You like you, you need to get in nice and early and and yeah, yeah. I, I had a you know I had step up boards in my quiver. Yeah, so useful, you know. Like we're you know like like we've said, the right tool for the job. Yeah, whatever the conditions are calling for. Let's talk a little bit about hardware, foil tracks, and board construction. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, the sport is so new. Um, we're all just kind of figuring out together what works and what doesn't. And I feel like, you know, we've been using um, future fin tracks, longboard tracks, to make a lot of the, the, the foil boxes and the mounts that we use. And I know there is a couple of, uh, I don't know exactly which the names of them, but there are some, I believe there are some companies that are coming out uh, making like foil specific um, tracks and things like that. And, you know, the amount of force and torque that gets put on those boxes when we're foiling, uh, you know, they're not designed uh, to take those kind of loads. Right. You're and referring more to, sure. to the, everything that's surrounding those tracks, right? The, um, the tracks, the I, foam, I think kind of, yeah. High density, the, the high density blocks and uh, the EPS, or I'm visualizing yeah. like like foil layups, and I'm drawing a blank on the on the terms, but but yeah, the the yeah. the like you're saying, the load is is so much. Yeah, it's incredible, especially if you start throwing in winging and and boosting and landing and stuff. Oh like that. yeah, that's a whole. That's like a whole nether. Yeah, that's a whole nether nether category there. You know, the winging and all that stuff. The 
the airs those guys are doing and stuff. For board makers, it's such an impossible task to take on to build light, sturdy boards that can that can withstand these kind of forces. You know, you know, falling out of the air fifteen feet up onto foil, and um, and even just yeah. like pumping over time, right? I know we've talked about how yeah. how just like a short board, you know, a foil board loses pop over time and and can slowly go soft, even if it's not breaking or buckling. It's it's losing its its mojo. Yeah, so you know. It's cool um, seeing people experiment with uh, new materials and construction and layups and things like that. And, you know, trying to figure out what's the strongest, lightest, you know, best option uh, that we have. And it ain't cheap, that's for sure. That's probably, you know, one of the things that kind of is holding it back a little bit is, you know, epoxy is expensive. Carbon fiber is expensive. Like EPS, that stuff's all expensive, you know. Um, I would never have thought, you know, dropping a thousand dollars or more on, on one board, uh, growing up, you know, I never thought I would do that, but you know, we do it on drop of a dime now, you know, it's like, Oh, it's a new one. Gotta try it. So it's cool that guys are trying new stuff. Uh, it's helping, you know, push the whole sport. Um, because like I was telling you earlier, like at some point your equipment's going to hold you back, you know, you can, you reach the limit of your equipment and you need stronger, better, bigger stuff. So if they could come out with, you know, tracks, boxes, um, that are made specifically for the amount of like force and torque that we're putting on them, that would be really cool to see. And just, you know, beefing up the hardware, too. You know, I think everything should be M8 or bigger, you know. Um, all the mass connections and the fuselage connections. Um, you know, people are shearing bolts and stuff. It's just, obviously, it's not strong enough. So, um, there are a few companies out there, a few guys who, who do use M8s for all their connections and things like that. And, man, you look at those foils and you give them a little shake and they're solid, man. They're not wiggling around like a noodle, you know? There's that fight between uh, weight and strength, right? Yes, the balance. Yeah, and I agree with you with with more hardware, but in return, we we need to figure out how to bring the weight down of the boards. And, And, you know, I don't want a net gain in weight for strength, but maybe at the at the cost of performance um mm-hmm. but yeah it's such a it's such a it's a tough balance especially us as surfers you know being so used to holding you know our potato chip short boards and trying to trying to get past you know the perception of weight and how it how it affects foiling versus you know the reality and i don't think it's quite as it's it's not as weight um affected as you know shortboarding you know, a heavy right. shortboard, you're, you know, you notice immediately you're not getting the snap and flex and, and reaction out of it. Whereas you can still rip and, and, and be nice and reactive on a heavier setup. But yeah, there's that balance there. And it's, 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 you know, working in the industry, um, prototyping and testing and all these things, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the most difficult balance that I've encountered for sure. Yeah. There's, there is a balance for sure, and right? There's, like you said, there's a point of diminishing returns. But we're, you know, slowly figuring it out. 
and you know everybody like lots of people like easy stuff you know that's what i think that's the lure that a lot of people get on lifts is this kind of plug and play uh it's not really like um armstrong or axis where you got all these different fuselages and different tail wings and this and that and it's just kind of plug and play and that's that's kind of like what's cool about it is it's it can be plug and play or you can get really technical and you can play with tails and shims and and you know millimeters and all that kind of stuff and the better better a rider gets the more inclined they are to start start you know goofing around with with a tune yeah the more you the more in tune you get with your you know with your writing the more you become more hypersensitive to those those little feels and um you know when you're first starting you're just trying to get over the fact that you're flying above the water (laughs) you know (laughs) you're just trying to get comfortable with that and then you you know add in all the other layers of all the other little things that are going on at the same time but yeah beefier hardware bigger t-nuts uh for the tracks to help you know spread load out you know where you're using these little little nuts that are you know half an inch long quarter inch long whatever they are and so i think longer ones to spread the load out and then bigger uh bigger screws to kind of just take more of that load yeah and uh it it would be nice if there was some universe uh universal um sizing with things that everybody's got their own you know armstrong's got m7s now for their new bass you know like (laughs) what (laughs) can we have some standardization here i mean uh, we'll take the metric you know obviously everybody else is on metric so we'll just stick with that i figure that would be super convenient though yeah all the setups just use the same freaking hardware make life life easier for sure yeah, because it sucks when you get down to the beach and you're like, oh, I'm missing this screw, you know? That's but the worst. The cool yeah, thing you're... is everybody's so, yeah, everybody's so, like, cool in the foiling community. It's like, just ask somebody, you know, hey, you got extra screw? Most likely, they, you know. Bust out the tackle box and, yeah, look for what you need. Yeah, I got a huge tackle box full of screws and stuff and shims and all kinds. What uh, uh, what's your number one foil destination? I guess outside of Maui, like you're you're planning on going in the summer. Do you have one? Uh, you know where it's been, you know where it's been tickling my brain ever since these clips have been popping up. Um, the Motu. Yeah. That yeah. place looks insane. It's such a. It's funny. Park. Yeah. We got park. We got a little. Uh, I've I've started this new thing now. So, as foilers. Um, I think we, we should be able to, uh, rename these surfing spots, uh, spoiling spots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with that. I like it. Totally so different names for the foil spots. community. Yeah. Yeah. So different names for the foiling community for the surf spots. So it's not the same. <laughs> so yeah, th- there's, um, you know, we got our own version of a uh, hummus over here. <laughs> right on man jd i really enjoyed this conversation man is is fun to chat with you you know uh i uh realized i should call you more just to freaking voila you know not on the podcast yeah. i'd love to have you back on anytime but uh really appreciate your time and 
and uh, sharing your story and your thoughts. A lot of uh, a lot of gems in there. And uh, I hope to see you on Kauai soon. If you ever want to come out, stay, um, go rip up some pillowcases, you know, come stay with me in Florida. Yeah, yeah Brian, thanks for having me, man. Stoked to be on here and, you know, just kind of share some of my, but not all with everybody. And uh, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Take care and foil the world. Thank you.